hard things Jesus calls us to that kind of swim in the face. Well, don't kind of. Absolutely do swim in the face of our nature, our inclination, our tendencies, things like, like forgiveness in the face of very difficult circumstances or experiences that, that we find very, very difficult to forgive. How do, we, how do we find that? How are we going to hear what Jesus says to us and take that into, into our spirits in such a way that it, it impacts the way, the way that we live? And so the, this sermon really goes hand in hand with where we were a couple weeks ago when we talked about revenge. Because we talked about, and, and I'm using this kind of image of a math equation. We talked about, if, if you think about it from simple math, the need for us to subtract from our lives revenge, um, bitterness, anger, resentment. These things that we need to kind of let go of. And, and it's really hard to do that because, again, to kind of rehash where we were, that's um, natural for us in many ways. It's, it's kind of habit-forming when, when we've been wronged or somebody's done something against us to figure out how we can kind of even the score. And that happens in very deep and, and significant ways. Sometimes it happens in, in lighter, more surface-level ways. It, there was a story of a husband and wife who were talking one day, and the husband was a bit of a hothead and lost his temper a lot, and the wife always stayed calm and cool and kind of composed. And the husband was talking to her and he said, I'm, I'm just amazed at how you do that. How do you stay so calm and collected and cool when, I'm, when I lose my temper and I yell at you and I mistreat you and I, and I behave in inappropriate ways? How do you stay so composed? And she says, very simple, I just retreat and I clean the bathroom. And specifically, she said, I clean the toilet. And he said, how does cleaning the toilet help you maintain your composure? And she said, I use your toothbrush. Um, see, that's, that's me. That's the way we behave. There's another one I came across. Guy, guy had been bitten by a dog that they found that had rabies. And this was back before they had a cure for rabies. It could be deadly. And um, the doctor saw him and said, I'm sorry, there's really nothing we can do. We'll try to keep you as comfortable as possible. But I really suggest you start to get your affairs in order. And he was stunned. He was shocked. He didn't know how to process it. But shortly thereafter, he asked for a pen and a paper, and they began to write furiously on this pen and paper. About an hour later, the doctor came in and said, oh, I see you've taken my advice, and you're writing your will. He said, will nothing. He's like, I'm making a list of all the people I'm going to bite before I die. <laughs> That's where most of us live. I mean, figuratively, lightheartedly, but if we're really honest, that's where, where most of us live. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, that's the behavior, the tendency, the mindset, the, the things that, that Christ calls us to let go of, to subtract. And in its place, we, we add something to our lives. And these aren't necessarily in order. In fact, I think we add this before we learn to subtract these things. But that addition is to recognize God's call for forgiveness, to embody in our lives a character of, of forgiveness. And so we're going to turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, and there's verses 21 through 35, in which Jesus talks about forgiveness. And there's a number of places in the Gospels he does this, but he does it here through a story, a parable, which we're fairly familiar with. 
Um, and it's set up by a question that Peter asks. And this is what we read in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or some of your versions may read 70 times seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And friends, we pray God's blessing here on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Lord, your word challenges us. Speak to us in these moments and shape us through the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us to begin to more faithfully embody Christ, to reflect Christ, and to recognize your call upon our lives and the challenges that your Spirit helps us to overcome. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. allergy season um, is taking a toll. <clears throat> so excuse me if I have a, um, my voice comes and goes a little bit. I'm feeling it this morning. But um, let's start with this. Most of us recognize as adults, part of our responsibility is to help teach and shape the lives of children. And I think that's true for most of us, if not all of us, in some way, whether you're a parent or grandparent or, or as part of the body of Christ. That's what we say. When we baptize an infant, we take ownership collectively of the responsibility we have to, to help raise the child. Now, it's a secondary position to the parents, of course, but to, be an, to, to influence and to shape and to model uh, a Christ-like life in front of a, of a child and to teach him or her some of the important lessons of life that we have learned. And so most of us think of, of the teaching kind of in that direction, adult to child. But the reality is occasionally that lesson flows the other direction, right? 
Occasionally, we need to look at children and learn from them. I mean, Jesus himself said, you know, unless you are like one of these, you know, you don't, you don't enter the kingdom. So, so there's some things that we learn from children. And one of the things that we learn from them better than they learn from us is the ability to receive a gift. You know, kids, their energy, especially at times of the year like around Christmas and birthdays or, or holidays and celebrations, you know, they, they anticipate, they relish receiving a gift. They, they do it with joy and, and enthusiasm and, and energy. Whereas many of us, as we get older, we do it with a little more hesitancy. We kind of begin to process, if, if, if Christy has given me a gift, have I gotten Christy a gift? Um, or is there some strings attached here? There's something, you know, that's come with this. Again, we talk about this all the time. Somebody offers you something for free, what happens? We all kind of go, whoa. I was talking with somebody um, this week that in, uh, there was a, some free gifts available in the community they lived, and people weren't, weren't taking the gifts because they were worried that there was some catch. That's what we do. Now ask a kid. Go give a kid a gift and see if they're worried about if there's a catch. <laughs> you know? We, we don't. And so, so kids, we have some things that we can learn. And, and one of the gifts that kids give each other that we could really learn from is forgiveness. I mean, go, go watch some four-year-olds play. You know, go stand if you can. Well, I was going to say go stand at the nursery and just look in, but that might be creepy. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Um, but four-year-olds, little ones, play. They will inevitably, um, they'll have their skirmishes. You know, one kid will have the, 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 the ninja toy or the transformer toy, and the other kid's going to want it. And there may be some pushing. There may be shoving. There may be some tears. Things can get a little heated, and, and adults will intercede, and they'll, they'll pull the kids apart. And they'll maybe put them in time out for a few moments. Maybe one of the kids then has to go and apologize to another child. But when you watch, notice how quickly they forgive and move on. Notice how quickly that a, a child will go from, from being angry and in tears and, and mad at each other to playing together and letting it be in the past, forgetting about it. They don't harbor grudges. They don't, they don't make a mental note of how they're going to get even they don't wash the toilet with a toothbrush kind of thing, you know? They, they let go of that stuff, and, and they move on. Four-year-olds do that well. Forty-year-olds, not so much. Fifty-year-olds, thirty-year-olds, whatever age you probably are, we don't do that so well, do we? we? We tend to harbor. We tend to hold on. We tend to calculate. We, we, we dream about getting even. We take it all in. And we're challenged to learn how to forgive. We're challenged by Christ and his teaching. We're challenged by our faith to be more like a four-year-old, to recognize that forgiveness is a gift that we both receive and that we give. And there's reasons for that. There's, there are some deeply theological and there's some reasons why that's important. And there's some reasons of how we do that. But one of the things we need to recognize is God desires it for us because it's good for us. Because forgiveness is good for us. There's an old Chinese proverb that says that the man who seeks revenge should dig two graves. The one who seeks revenge should dig two graves. Not only for the person that you want revenge against, but for yourself. 
for the fact that revenge and, and that bitterness and that anger poisons your spirit. It kills your, your spirit and, and your dreams. It actually saps your life. In fact, a, another saying that I heard said, bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Harboring bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. E. Stanley Jones, the, the famous Methodist missionary of the 20th century, once noted that rattlesnakes could get so angry that they would bite themselves. They would literally inject themselves with their own poison. And, and how often does that not become the character of anger and bitterness in our lives? It begins to poison us. Uh, somebody else, uh, a pastor I worked with, used to say that, that, that bitterness and anger is a poison that's so corrupt it, 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 it kills the container, the one who, who holds on to it. And, and it is hard for us to let go of that. It is absolutely hard. It's hard for the giants of faith. C.S. Lewis, uh, you, you may be familiar with the name or with the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, Mere Christianity, a lot of apologetics, one of those giants of the faith. He once celebrated, he celebrated that after... Uh, many, many years, he had finally been able to forgive a man who had wronged him. He was celebrating 30 years after that man had died. And that was his point. It took him 30 years of holding that grudge after the man had died before he was able to finally let go of that unforgiveness that was in his heart. So we are called to be a people of forgiveness. Part of that reason is because we're better for it. In fact, uh, Templeton Foundation did a study years ago with the University of Michigan, and they, um, they asked people, um, practicing Christians and, and people of, of marginal faith, they asked them how many believe that God had forgiven them for their transgressions, their sins, their mistakes. 75% said they believed that their slate had been wiped clean. Three out of four. But then they asked them this question. They said, how many of you have forgiven others who have done something against you? And less than half responded they had. Why? Because it's hard. And it is hard to do. It's not our nature. It's not our inclination. It's not our tendency. But that same study found that those who learned how to forgive had less stress and better health than those who hadn't. Because that bitterness and anger, it corrupts us. And God's heart is that he wants the best for his children. He wants the best for us. And what is best for us is a heart that learns how to forgive, as difficult and as hard and as challenging as that can be. So th that becomes the why. The, the challenge for us is to, to embrace that kind of lifestyle. But, but that's not the heart of, of the how. Because while we can acknowledge that it's good for us to forgive, that, that, that question becomes, well, how do we do that? I mean, because people have wronged us. I, I guarantee if we all pulled out a sheet of paper right now and I said, list the people that have wronged you, have done something against you, have offended you, have mistreated you, have, have sinned against you, we'd all have a pretty extensive list. I'll, I, if, you're, if you don't have anybody on your list, come tell me after worship because I want to meet you because I'm impressed because most of us have a list. And so it's one thing to say that we should forgive. But how do we do that? And how does that become embodied in our lives when it is so difficult and people have, we have, we have good reason, don't we? I mean, I, yeah, I know, preacher, you're talking about forgiving, but you don't know what he's done to me. You don't know what she did to me. And you're right, I don't. 
I don't know. But, but God does. And it's God's word that challenges us, that calls us to forgive. In fact, it's here in Matthew 18. And it starts with Peter, as it often does. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how often should I forgive? And he says, how about seven times? Now, in Peter's mind, this is impressive. Seven times is a big number. And it is a big number. Because the, the, the teachings of the Pharisees, which were pulled from the Old Testament, specifically from the book of Amos, taught that you forgive three times. If the person did it a fourth time, you don't have to forgive them. Three times forgiveness. So Peter says seven, so he's doubled it and added one. So, so what Peter's doing is, I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, aren't I impressive, Jesus, in this good? I mean, I know they say seven, but how about I just do it seven times? That's good, right? And of course, Jesus takes it a step further. He says not seven times, but 70 times seven or 77. Now, the point here is not the number. The point is, Jesus is saying it's an inexhaustible reality. As long as you have breath, as long as your brother and sister seeks forgiveness, you offer it. Over and over and over and over again. This is not what Peter wanted to hear. And the question that would have naturally flown, come from his lips, that probably comes from yours, that comes from mine, is why? Why would I forgive anybody that much? And so Jesus tells a story. And in the story, he talks about a man who owed his king or his master a great sum of money. Now, it's 10,000 bags of gold. Now, we hear that, and we kind of go, yeah, that's a lot of money. But you got to hear that with fresh ears. That is meant to be a ridiculous amount of money. Jesus is using hyperbole here. He is, there are some scholars that have tried to figure out how much money that would be like in today's standards, if we were using dollar values. And some have calculated that would be like a trillion dollars. Okay, the point is, it is a ridiculous amount of money. It's more money than any human would, would have seen. It would have been more money than it would have been possible to pay back. That's the, that's the kind of irony of the story, is that he says, give me time to pay it back. But the way that Jesus sets up the story, it's an impossible debt to pay back. He cannot do it. There is no hope in this situation, except for the heart of the master, the heart of the king who when he comes and he throws himself at the mercy of the king, the king says, not only will I not throw you in prison, I forgive your debt. Your debt is canceled. And then he goes out. And he, the forgiven servant, encounters somebody else who owes him. Now, here's the contrast. This man owes him 100 silver coins. This is not a lot of money. It's not a huge amount of money. In fact, it pales in comparison to what he's received. And he shows no mercy. He fails to offer what he's received. And for that, he is judged. For that, he is condemned. The point is very simple, yet incredibly profound. Why do we forgive? How do we forgive? We first recognize that we've been forgiven. 
How do we let go of our bitterness and our anger? We do it when we receive, when we add the forgiveness which God has poured into us. We are the servant who has had the infinite amount forgiven. In fact, ask this question. Forget, take Peter's question and ask it of God. God, how many times will you forgive me? And I guarantee you we're all glad that number's not seven. But that God's word teaches us that as we are willing to confess and open and honest before God, he over and over and over forgives. That's an ongoing narrative of the scriptures. It's the story over and over of God's forgiveness and God's grace. If, if you read through the Old Testament, it's like a circle. It comes and goes constantly. People misbehave. The people are unfaithful. The people are disobedient. And God forgives and he restores and he welcomes them home. And that becomes the story of the Gospels in Christ that Jesus, through, through Jesus, God has said, I forgive you over and over like the father that embraces the prodigal son. He welcomes us home. How often are we forgiven? Over and over and over again. But there's a expectation with that. And the expectation is this. As you have been forgiven, you forgive. So the question is, how do you forgive? you first recognize you've been forgiven. How do you offer something that is so against our inclination and our nature? You recognize first what God has done for you. I recognize what God has done for me. And then out of what I have received, I begin to learn how to offer. And that's, again, that's hard. Really, really hard. In fact, when we do the Lord's Prayer, the part of the prayer that probably should make you squirm the most, it does me, is the part that says this. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, if you just stop and think about that week in and week out. Forgive us as we forgive. That doesn't always sit well with me. Because a lot of times I've sat there as we've prayed and thought, man, if God's forgiven me as I'm forgiving others, that's not a good week for me. It's not a good week for me. But that's where the heart of forgiveness grows because we see what God has done for us. And it challenges us. Now, let me say something here because I had some questions about this after the first service. There's two things I'm not talking about. One, forgiveness is not forgetting. You know, we use that a lot, forgive and forget. Sometimes forgiveness involves memory, remembering. Uh, after, after World War II, there was a, a figurative law added to the 613 laws of, of the Talmud. The Jewish people added. Not, not literally, but it was kind of a figurative thing. And that 614th law after World War II, after Nazi Germany, was thou shalt never forget. We, we, don't, we don't just act like it didn't happen because it did. We don't act like we haven't been hurt because we have. We don't act like there aren't consequences because there are. And there's, there's pain that's inflicted because we experience it. That's not to say any of that is okay. Forgiveness isn't offered because the other person deserves it any more than we do. But it, because it becomes a reflection of the character of Jesus. And forgiveness is not reconciliation. There are times you can forgive and keep your distance. There are times that you're not called to be back in a relationship with somebody. Because somebody comes and can you forgive somebody who doesn't ask to be forgiven? Yes, you can. Can you be in a reconciled relationship with somebody who doesn't seek to, to be forgiven? No, you can't. Those are two different things. But remember, 
Forgiveness is a gift. We have received it, and we're called to offer it. And I know it's hard. Trust me, I know it's hard. And I'm not a paragon of virtue when it comes to living this. But, but Jesus says, by the measure you forgive is the measure you'll be forgiven. And he challenges us to live into that, to that become a reflection of him and his life and his character because it begins to liberate us. It frees us and allows us to pursue the things of Christ, as difficult as it may be. Remember in 2006, the tragedy uh, up, uh, in the Amish community, the gunman who opened fire and killed the children. You remember that? Remember what happened in the aftermath of that? You may remember the details. Some, some, somebody was talking to me about this last week. When the members of that Amish community, many of the members, went to the funeral of that gunman. Not for him, but to offer grace and forgiveness to his wife and to his child. They took some of the money that they had received in donations in the aftermath of their tragedy, and they gave it to that mother and her son. And we knew that story because it got headlines. Why? Because it's so against the grain. It's so absolutely against the grain. But it was in their moment an opportunity for them to reflect Jesus, to recognize even in their grief and tragedy, they knew what they had been given by God, and they sought to share that with others. There's another story I want to share with you about that. And I don't want to paraphrase it. I want to read it. It's a little bit longer this morning. But um, it came from a guidepost devotion written in 1973. It was written by Corey Ten Boom. Some of you are familiar with the name. A survivor of a concentration camp in Ravensbrück. Uh, she and her family were thrown um, in concentration camp as, as Christians. They were hiding Jews from the Nazis. And I became aware this years ago, Tony read some of her books and kind of shared some of these things from me. And I came across this years ago. And it's her reflection on forgiveness. And I want to let her story be her story. So allow me just to read this to you this morning. It says, it was a church in Munich that I saw him. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filling out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast him into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, in silence collected their wraps, in silence left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, 
the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, sh ribs sharp beneath the parchment, her parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück, concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take the hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? As I stood there, I whose sins had every day been forgiven, I could not. Betsy had died in that place. How could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it was not only as a commandment of God, but a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. As I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into my, our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood from my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Now, most of us will never be asked to forgive like that, but some may. What I know is this. We all have names on our list. We all have people in our lives that we need to forgive. And you know what? That name on your list may be yours. It may start with you. We forgive not because it benefits us. 
as much as because we have received it. God has spoken that grace into each of our lives. No matter how far we've fallen, no matter how far away we've drifted, no matter what wrongs we've committed, Christ, in his mercy, has poured his forgiveness over us. When we recognize that, we can find the strength to begin to forgive others, to liberate ourselves from that bitterness and that anger that can corrode and poison our souls, and to live into that command, not seven times, but 70 times seven. That's the math that begins to shape our lives. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, this is, this is hard. And um, we, we fail more often than we care to admit. But Lord, even in our unforgiveness, we're forgiven. Your forgiveness knows no bounds. Lord, help that to overwhelm us and begin to help us to let go of that bitterness and anger that too many of us carry and to begin to live the forgiveness that we have received. We pray it in Christ Jesus. Amen.